Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Okay, so uh, before we get started uh, with the questions that we have uh, from our audience, uh, I want to give kind of two questions uh, that full disclosure have already been kind of primed and pumped. You guys know uh, that these are coming. Uh, First question uh, that we'll go through and we can share microphones as we go, uh, but can you share uh, maybe a three to five minute uh, version of your story? Uh, your experience, your um, what it is that, that you have to offer that would help the audience know uh, how to weigh uh, where you're coming from in the midst of a conversation like this. So, Eric, do you mind leading us off? I don't mind at all. He told us earlier to eat the mic, so if this looks funny, I'm just doing what I'm told. <laughs> My name is Eric Garner, and thank you for having me. It's always a privilege and an honor to be before God's people especially in a way of discipleship and discernment to try to help others through what I've been through. I am 53 years old. I've been married for 24 years. I have a son who is about to turn 18, 6'4", a huge gentle giant and a huge blessing to my life. When I got saved, I got saved in the midst of a gay identity. I was living with a man that I'd been with for two and a half years. And actually his family was doing kind of a lot of the stuff that you wrote about in the book. And invited me and got me to church. Then on January the 7th, 1990, I got saved. And I'm going to tell you what, I never got over it. I've never been the same. Don't plan on being the same. Uh, But a gentleman said something to me in the midst of me coming out of the baptismal waters. He said, Eric, now that you're saved, you should read the Bible, pray every day, read the Bible, and get involved in a church. And so I just simply started doing that. And as I began to read God's Word, I became very convicted about the lifestyle that I was leading, the relationship that I was in. And about three months into my salvation experience, I felt strongly that the Holy Spirit was asking me to walk away from this relationship, to leave the lifestyle that I was in. It was not very easy. Uh, I will say this. uh, It's very hard to convince people of things. It's not as hard when the Holy Spirit convicts people of things. And so shortly after that, uh, I began to pray and tell God, I I get it. You've shown me what I was doing wrong, what I'm not supposed to do, how I'm not supposed to feel. Not that they all went away, those feelings and desires. But I said, I don't have the gift of celibacy, and I don't want to be alone. (laughs) So I began to pray that God would send me a wife, and he has done that. And she has been beside me in ministry and in marriage and in life. And so not long after that, I felt God calling me to go public and to share my testimony so that I could help others and let them know that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus once you become saved. It doesn't mean all your struggles go away, but you become a new creation and you can begin to live under a new identity. And so I sit before you today in Christ, no longer I that lives, but he that lives within me.
Hi, my name is Gene. Um, I am 27. Uh, just want to give you a little bit of my story so you can know uh, where I'm coming from. I uh, grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church for uh, now all of my life. I guess I'm still growing up. Um, but uh, I, I was usually a pretty good kid, um, uh, probably to the point of being legalistic, uh, a little bit of a Pharisee. Um, and when I was in fifth grade, I remember sitting in uh, the art room of my elementary school. I was about 10. And uh, I had this realization that I liked sync, and that wasn't normal for boys. Uh, so that was a joke. So it's okay <laughs> to laugh. <laughs> Should we laugh? I don't know. Uh, it was a joke. Uh, but actually, uh, later on, uh, when I was 17, I was actually sitting in youth group, and my youth minister uh, showed a video on, on homosexuality, people who had come out of homosexuality, had been saved and stuff, and I realized and was finally able to admit to myself uh, and not just kind of rationalize uh, what I had felt uh, for years since puberty outset, but I finally admitted to myself that I was attracted to guys, uh, mostly attracted to guys, and uh, not as much to girls. And that realization completely freaked me out. Um, I was a good Southern Baptist Christian who doesn't experience sin. Uh, and so uh, it, was, it was really uh, uh, disorienting. And uh, so later on, I, I talked to my youth minister, and uh, he got... Got me hooked up with a lot of good resources, and um, you know, kind of since then, it's been a, a journey of of, uh, of healing, of uh, coming out to people in a way, disclosing my experience, um, and uh, growing in grace, uh, just like uh, the rest of us are as Christians. So, uh, my name is Sam Williams, and I'm a recovering psychologist. Um, I, uh, actually, my, my um, entrance into this issue of same-sex attraction uh, was in 1977. Uh, my best friend and uh, college roommate uh, said to me, um, I think I'm gay, and I'm going to kill myself on my next birthday. It's about eight or nine months down the road. And so that was my introduction to the topic. Uh, 1977 was a little bit different from today. Uh, people didn't get brownie points for coming out of the closet back then uh, like they do now, unfortunately. And so that was a major challenge for me and how will I care for my friend. Uh, I was not a believer. Uh, he had been, but left Christianity because he, it didn't work just didn't work. It didn't change him. And uh, so I uh, spent the next several months uh, talking my friend into living, and he did. Um, that friendship continues, and I may chat a little more about that as we go down the road. And then also, um, my, uh, when I was in graduate school, uh, roommate, my roommate Roger uh, died a few years later of, uh, of AIDS and uh, talked with Roger uh, the last day of his life on the phone and shared the gospel with him again. Um, so my um, 
calling here with respect to this issue has simply been um, to try to understand it and um, love and care for people, uh, whether that's friends or people that I counsel. And so I've counseled uh, quite a few men, a few ladies, but many men that have dealt with this. And I guarantee you, um, as a Christian, I am humbled by Christian men that deal with SSA so courageously and so boldly. And so uh, many of these guys have become my heroes. I mean, they're, they're, they're beyond me. They're further down the road than I am. Uh, and it's, it's been a great privilege uh, to me uh, to uh, be able to walk with some of them along the way there. So, yeah. Thank you. And Sam brings up a point that I think is uh, probably noticeable. Uh, we are four guys up here. Uh, it, uh, we had several ladies who were committed uh, and then could not make it at the last minute for scheduling reasons. Uh, and so that's why the panel is disproportionately male. Uh, it was not uh, planned that way, uh, but it, uh, it wound up being that way in the end. Uh, and so the second question... Uh, that we had, and actually a few people sent it uh, in ahead of us. So uh, based on the opportunity to read the book beforehand, hearing uh, the verbal summary of it here, uh, if you had an audience like this one live or the one that is on video, uh, and you were going to clarify something, if you were going to correct something, to nuance it, or just say, I think this needs more emphasis, uh, how is it that you would take what you've heard and what you've read uh, and put your spin and emphasis on it. So you're holding the mic, so you get to go first. I knew this was an occupational hazard to hold the <laughs> mic. Um, you know, I, I think this is a challenging issue. Um, this is something I experience. Uh, this is something that I'm uh, hoping to ride on at the doctoral level. Uh, it's still something I haven't completely figured out. Um, so as the church, as evangelicals, as people who believe in scripture, uh, we are, we are trying to figure out, um, the best ways to articulate these things and categorize them and stuff. Uh, so there are a lot of things that are going on, um, and that's my, my preface, and I'm very appreciative of another resource that's out there, um, to, uh, to help guide, uh, Christians who want to have good conversations, both with Christians who experience SSA um, and non-Christians who gay identify. Um, and, you know, and the, the other thing is there, there are Christians who are committed to celibacy um, who also gay identify, and that's um, also another group. So I, I think, um, uh, personally, just kind of thinking through everything there, I think, you know, we're, I hope there's a second edition. I guess that's what I would say. Um, uh, that we're always adapting uh, to the challenges that are brought by culture and people's experiences. Um, one thing I will say just on, on the issue of same-sex attraction, and I, I didn't realize this uh, till yesterday, kind of the limitation that we have um, with using uh, the word or the phrase same-sex attraction to uh, talk about this experience. So, uh, you know, I think back to my experience, and the NSYNC joke is kind of true, uh, and so, you know, like a, a lot of my uh, early childhood, kind of growing up, I, I didn't feel, feel like other boys. Um, I, I 
I felt very different. I didn't feel like a girl, um, and so that wasn't going on. But I didn't feel exactly like other boys. I felt different. I felt other. And uh, so that happened before puberty. And attraction sets in at puberty. Um, So when we're saying same-sex attraction, we're getting this experience after puberty, but not not exactly explaining um, some of the gender otherness kind of experiences uh, that are going on there. And I think that makes it even, uh, you know, more hurtful to people who experience same-sex attraction when you, when you make same-sex attraction equivalent to sin um, because they are associating more than just their attractions with that term because it's explaining their whole experience across their life. <coughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just just speaking um, as a a person who's been in a, a a long, long friendship with my best friend um, that I mentioned to you earlier that came out to me, and we, he, we were 21 years old at that time, and uh, in 1977. Um, I, I guess one of the things that I would I would you know if you had more pages in the book. Um, uh, that I would add is just, um, it ain't easy. And this guy started out as my best friend. And it really got complicated when I became a Christian. Because then I changed. And so, you know, in, golly, 40 years now of being in a relationship with my buddy... Um, he did embrace a gay identity, still embraces it, and he's pretty much a radical uh, in every way, uh, a, a radical on the far left. And um, I, I think one of the things that I just missed in the book was the personal challenge that is sometimes, because sometimes, you know, um, sometimes I get offended, and sometimes the relationship gets crunchy because we're not just talking about his identity. We're talking about my identity. And in the same way that a person with SSA can get so deeply offended by something that I don't think is a big deal, because I'm just talking about this issue, not about them. Well, if, if you've identified with this, then for me to criticize something about this whole issue of homosexuality, is, because they're identified with it, is to criticize them. It's like you're talking about not, not my mama even. You're talking about me. And so... And, and I feel the same way sometimes, that when my buddy and I get into dicey conversations and we have the longevity to be able to have some of those, um, I feel offended because I identify with Christ and with Scripture. And so it, it, it really gets complicated just for me personally sometimes. And so where God has really worked on me there is in patience and perseverance and continuing to call me back to what does wise love look like for my buddy um, and really having at times to to die to parts of myself. And so that whole, the, just the personal challenge in persevering in a longer-term relationship with a person who has embraced a guy, gay identity, it, it gets crunchy and complicated. All right. Um, 
Well, I got the book and I read it pretty quickly and I thought, wow, this is really, really great. And I immediately thought that I could replace the word gay in the title and just put sinners. And I thought, this is something the church needs to hear. And my first immediate thought was, everything Brad is saying is so good, is so great. I don't even know myself that many believers that are going to be able to apply this in their life because we as the church just have a problem with connecting with people. We have a problem in relationships. We are so quick to judge rather than to love. And also, I just love the fact that you are writing about this book, and it's something outside of you. It's not a struggle you have, but your desire to write the books because people asked it, but I would venture to say it's because you have compassion for this struggle. And just so you know, I got saved in 1990. I went into the Baptist bookstore back then, and I said, hey, I, they said, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm a new believer, and I, I just I believe God's delivered me from homosexuality. I need a book about it. This was 20-odd years ago, and they were like, what? So just the fact that there is so much more material out there to disciple yourself with as the church, I'm very excited about that. Again, uh, my biggest thought in the book was, wow, this is going to be a challenge. Because quite honestly, I think that, that we don't... We, we don't connect with each other the way we should, much less connecting with someone else that we view has a problem that is the ultimate sin. But thank you for the book. Thank you. It, uh, and I think on that point, one of the things that I've heard people say is that one of the reasons, maybe particularly as men, that we struggle with this uh, is because we don't do homosocial relationships well, much less homosexual relationships and that's why we get slang like a bromance if two guys actually have a quality friendship. Uh, we don't know what to do with that. Uh, and several people have commented that when I read this, it requires a level of friendship that exceeds what I experience on a day-to-day basis and that I probably have more acquaintances than I do friends. Uh, and the the level of, of friendship that we have there, which uh, I'll I'll take one of the questions here uh, and let uh, whoever would like uh, speak to this. Uh, they're saying uh, when a non-Christian um, comes to you, they're a, uh, they openly identify as gay, uh, and they ask you about your faith and your view on homosexuality, uh, and so they set the ball on the tee. Uh, and they say, you're a Christian, I'm not, I'm gay. What do you, what do you think about homosexuality? Um, how, what do we do at that moment? What do we say? Well, what I do, because <laughs> I've had this happen to me more than once, because I cut hair for a living, been doing that for 20-something years, and so I often get people sit down and say that to me. And so I immediately start talking about my salvation with Christ and how I met Christ and let them know that, you know, what really changed me and what really uh, determined what I believed I was supposed to think about this subject was God's Word. And I have to say that I, I did experience early on in my Christian walk God saying to me, Eric, my Word is my Word and you need to submit to it even when it hurts, even when you don't like it. 
And so I share with people that, you know, there's a lot of philosophies out there about this subject, but for me, my ultimate authority on this subject is going to be the Bible. Um, in terms of, I think it's chapter 6, uh, chapter 5 or chapter 6, um, you're talking about arguments, kind of having arguments with people versus influencing people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I think that applies to any Christian, non-Christian conversation that you're having. Um, you know, you want to be, uh, to be careful uh, not to, to make it into an argument where you're trying to trap somebody. Um, you know, because uh, salvation is, is a work of the Spirit. Um, it, it's something that involves words. Uh, it's something that's not met through our words and things that we're doing. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, as much as you can, uh, make the conversation dripped in grace and love, uh, compassion, which is a, a tone that's all throughout uh, this book. And, uh, you know, we want to have a conversation, uh, not just win an argument. You know, I actually like that lax chapter. Um, I, I do think you should have taken a little more medicine before you wrote it, but... Um, <laughs> At points, it's a little more like an algorithm or a chess match, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but nonetheless, I, I think some of the basic, you know, I think when that question comes up, you know, point blank, and it certainly can in our day, uh, is, um, you know, that's a really tough, complicated question. And I, I think that's something I'd love to talk with you about. But I also want to know more about you, and I want you to know about, more about me. Um, and I think that there, there is really a time and a place to strategically and honestly say, you know, I don't want to go there right now. And I think there are strategic and compassionate ways to say that. But at the same time, I think like in that chapter, but I'm willing to go there. I just, I just want to be careful because I, I don't want to mess up my relationship with you on the front end here. I, I, I'm more interested in you than in you just hearing my opinions about thus and such. But sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes people can be pretty confrontational in our current environment, and it can be a real challenge. Uh, uh, And, you know, my initial thought when I hear that question is uh, maybe just the first thing to say is thank you. Uh, Thank you for trusting me with that question. Uh, It takes a lot of courage to engage that, and I... I would love for our relationship to be an example of something that's very hard to do in our culture, which is maybe people who have different views on a subject like this uh, to have a good conversation. And for you, for you to open the door to that means a lot to me. Uh, and to find something to affirm in what's being presented to you uh, so that um, even though I may disagree with where you're at or your identity or your lifestyle, I can still see virtue and character and some things that I will unashamedly compliment and give you credit for um, to, to say, you know, there's things that I admire and, you know, just I find neat about you. So uh, another kind of set of questions here, and I'll maybe summarize it under umbrella. Um, my book was a lot about friendship. Uh, and one of the areas that that really neglects uh, is parents. 
because a parenting relationship um, has some dynamics and facets to it that a uh, that a friendship may not. Um, you know, friends don't come live with you. They don't. You know, there's not that constant. You don't ask your friends for permission, and friends don't give you a curfew, and all the kinds of things that parents do uh, that that complicate that relationship. Uh, how would you speak to? Uh, let's say, Christian parents who have a child who's somewhere between saying, I struggle with same-sex attraction or I'm embracing a gay identity, could you give some some perspective or guidance for parents? Yeah, I uh, recently was just having a conversation with parents and a um, uh, really great couple um, and had a son who, who came out and said, I'm gay. Um, and, you know, one thing I, I think we want to keep in mind uh, is when you experience something, you're going to bring the first term that you know to describe it uh, to communicate with other people. So, you know, when you're a 13-year-old, uh, you have lived in America in 2016, and you realize that you're attracted to the same sex, you're going to say, I am gay. Uh, that's going to be the response that you're going to say. Um, so, you know, if you're a parent, uh, you know, I, you wanna, I think you want to prepare yourself for the possibility of that conversation coming up, just to prepare uh, what you're going to say and how you're going to respond. Um, and I think one of the most important things is don't freak out. Uh, don't freak out about the term. Uh, don't let the term uh, uh, kind of shut down the conversation. Um, and, you know, with uh, resources like this book, uh, you can help them distinguish between, okay, here's what a gay identity is. Uh, here's what homosexual behaviors are. Here's what same-sex attraction is. Um, and you can help your child make those distinctions and not kind of foreclose or uh, prematurely adopt uh, the gay identity. Wow, this is a really, really hard one because as a father, I have not had to face that. I can only speak from the end of being a child. And um, my mom was a very loving, accepting woman, she never, ever, you know, literally said, you know, I accept this. She just always accepted me. She all, I always knew that my mom loved me. My dad died when I was four years old. And so it was primarily just my mom, but I always knew that she loved me. And so I think what I would offer to parents is to make sure your children know that you love them and that that love is greater than anything else. I'll never forget having a conversation with my own son. And he was like, Dad, why are you? He said I was yelling at him because of course I'm in the car and he won't behave. And he said, why are you mad at me? And I said, Andrew, I, I am frustrated. And let me say this to you. I said, I'm going to be frustrated with you. I'm going to be upset with you. Sometimes I'm going to be sad with you. I might even be angry with you. But my love trumps all of that. My love for you is and will always be the greater point of connection. And God's love for us is always greater than whatever struggle we're going through. I hope that helps. Uh, And so uh, maybe an extension question that we got several versions of whether you are a parent uh, or a friend uh, and you, uh, you get invited to a wedding uh, that would be a same-sex wedding, uh, 
Um. <laughs> it's what you get for not answering the last question. I can go back and change your grade still. <laughs> uh, uh, how, how should we as Christians respond? And does the nature of the relationship that we have with the person, uh, does that give any additional latitude uh, to what our response might be? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the second question is a lot easier to answer, um, and the answer is no. Uh, I, it, the, the nature of the relationship for me wouldn't change the response, whether it was my child or a, uh, a new friend that I just met at work three months ago. Um, so that wouldn't change. Um, you know, um, for me, I, I probably would land um, uh, in the um, camp that would say, you know, because that's a celebration, I don't think I can celebrate that with you, and I'm sorry about that. I have a perspective on this that's really weird uh, because it comes from the Bible, and the Bible's a pretty weird book. And especially in our day, I know that's, that's difficult to understand, but I want you to understand that doesn't mean that I don't care for you. And at some level, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that you, know, that you um, were able to ask me. I appreciate that. I'm honored by that. Um, but I don't think I can go because I, I, I'm not where you're at on these things, and I'm you know, uh, sorry, I know that must be tough to hear. So. Um, well, I have had the opportunity to be um, a minister who has, you know, um, had the opportunity to marry couples. They've all been heterosexual couples. And I think that along with Sam, what I would say is that there is a big difference between me understanding, accepting your struggle, and then embracing it with a celebration. I'm not going to be able to do that. But I would take it a step further and say, not only am I not going to be able to do that for you, if it was a heterosexual couple, and I thought they weren't right for each other, and I thought, man, this is not going to work, I would have trouble attending that wedding as well, because I believe to attend a ceremony, especially of a great significance like that, that you're not just there as a guest, you're there as a witness, and your witness is saying, I agree with this. So I would look at my friends if I were asked that question, and I have family members that are in the lifestyle, and everybody keeps saying, what are you going to do if that person comes up to you and says, we're going to get married? And I said, I'm going to look at them and say, I hope that you know I love you, and you will not base my love for you on one single invitation. Uh, I don't have much to add. I, I think those are great responses. Um, but anything that assures the person that you still have a relationship with them, you still value them. Uh, you know, like I, I, I may not be able to come to your, to your wedding uh, because of my conscience, but you know, we'll have you over for dinner um, sometime after after you get married. is is a way to say I I value you, I value our friendship, and um, I, I'm not uh, you know casting you out um, by not coming. Yeah, and maybe a, a couple of thoughts there is uh, I think if it's a hypothetical invitation, uh, I would choose not to sink a real relationship for a hypothetical question. Uh, 
would you come to my wedding? Uh, and they're not engaged and they're not dating someone. It, again, if they pin you down on that, but to say, you know, I, um, if there's not a ceremony coming up, it, it feels like we are accelerating this conversation uh, beyond where we are. Uh, and, um, it, and so not dodging the question, but giving them an opportunity to see that, that maybe they're asking you a gotcha litmus test question that is ahead of where the relationship is in the same way, affording them that same opportunity that if we've got the temptation to get ahead of ourselves, uh, they may have the same temptation to get ahead of themselves. Um, to, uh, you know, as you were saying, looking for that opportunity, you know, I may not be able to in good conscience attend your ceremony because of what that would mean, um, but could we have you over for dinner afterwards? Maybe even to, to have a gift or something that says, I'm not trying to end the relationship when I can't participate uh, in the ceremony because relationship is the opportunity for influence. Um, and even maybe explaining that in terms of um, a wedding is your day. Uh, it is a day for you to be celebrated and everybody's going to be asking, isn't this wonderful? Don't you think this is great? Uh, and in the same way that you can't not speak what you think and believe, I can't not speak and say what I think and believe. And so my non-attending is also a way to protect this day for you. Uh, and so I, I want to protect and honor that because I know how you see it, uh, even if I disagree. And then uh, that invitation to a dinner or there being a gift or there being some way to say, I'm not wanting to cut you off. I know this would be hard to hear, um, but... I would like to continue uh, our friendship. And so those are um, maybe some thoughts there. Um, the, uh, another question that's kind of continuing in this vein, um, a same-sex couple with children, uh, whether it's somebody who's been in a heterosexual relationship and they have biological children, and maybe your kids are on the same sports team, and so uh, your child's teammate has... Uh, two moms or two dads who are there, and, and you get to know them. Um, what kind of guidance do you have for those kind of situations where uh, maybe it's a parent-to-parent -parent friendship and there is the influence of other children who are observing this, uh, who are your children and younger, and they're trying to figure out um, what's going on, and you're not just befriending someone, but you're modeling, discipling your you're training up the next generation in that moment. How do you both honor them and the relationship with their children and your children? How would you navigate that? Got the microphone again. Um, you know, I think with, uh, with your own children, I don't have children, so I can't speak to experience with this, but um, as I kind of look forward to that possibility for me, um, kind of the way that I approach culture is I would want to not completely uh, keep my children from understanding what was going on in culture, but I would want them to see elements that were appropriate for them at whatever age they were um, and be able to be the one who explains to them 
you know, what, what this means, um, how people are choosing to live, and why we as Christians uh, disagree with this. Um, but I, <laughs> something that kind of comes to mind is, you know, you do want to be careful with, uh, you know, what you tell your children, because, uh, you know, if, if, if you have a bad attitude towards this couple, and you're t- speaking about this around your child, you know that they're going to mention it uh, <laughs> around them, and that could go bad. Uh, so uh, just, you know, I mean, this is just another opportunity where we want to have integrity um, in, our, in our own homes and in our own lives uh, and, and speak well of people um, and accurately of them and, uh, and not uh, cause an, an opportunity for something not so great to happen. Yeah, I think I think this really is a uh, a difficult but good opportunity uh, for a parent to uh, teach children how to how to how to be in this culture but not of it, and and like Jean said, being careful even there. Uh, if you have younger children, they probably will repeat what you have said, and so uh, I, I I think I think also that one of the things that comes to my mind that I've run into, not just with parents, but with small group leaders uh, who uh, have a person dealing with same-sex attraction in their small group. And, and, and uh, a few years ago, I uh, had a small group leader come and say, uh, do you think it's going to be bad for me to let my son to be around these guys? And, and he wasn't really coming from a hostile position initially I found the question honestly just kind of offensive. I thought, you fool. Um, but, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I, it was an honest question. He, he didn't know. And so I, I think that often for parents, there are areas of just lack of knowledge. Uh, and so he was concerned, will this, will this rub off on my son? And I mean, this guy's not a psychologist. He hasn't studied these things. He doesn't understand identity development and same-sex attraction and, you know, how it's typically unbidden and all this. He doesn't understand all that. So I think with many parents, this is an opportunity to help them learn and understand and get a little more educated about just what some of the, the facts are and what we know. There's a lot that we don't know, but there are some things that we know and understand. So for some parents, it's a matter of, just education and dispelling um, areas of just lack of knowledge. Wow, I don't know that I can add any more to that, uh, but just to reiterate how difficult that can actually be. And I think that this particular situation is one of the hardest that is going to cause all of us as believers to reach deep down inside of us and determine whether we're going to put forth the love of Christ first and above our fear, our lack of knowledge, and all of those things. Um, And as you pointed out, it's so great, you know, be careful what you say when you have small kids because they're going to repeat it. And I think that um, it's very difficult. It's, I had someone say to me, what are you going to do with your testimony when your son is born? And I was like, well, what do you mean? I don't know. I'm going to keep sharing my testimony. I'm going to keep living out my life. And I said, I told my son, my son now knows I don't believe he would be here if God were not able to change my life. And 
to give me a wife and all of those things. So I think the church really struggles with these intricate issues. How do I love someone that I see living in a way that I would define is completely contrary to God's will? And like you said earlier, I don't have all the answers for that. But I can say this. God calls us to love, compassion, and grace. And let me just say this because we all need to hear it. Legalism and law always struggle, always strangles life out. And so uh, my encouragement would to be in opportunities like that that you're given. Be deliberate in how you share the love and the grace of Christ. I think one of the pieces of advice that uh, that I've been given uh, just in conversations that I've had after writing the book, thinking not so much of my children as a Christian parent, but when you're interacting with the children of a uh, gay couple is asking what are the names of mom and mommy, of dad and papa or whatever the names may be, um, and not trying to deconstruct that child's world for them, um, but at least having the honor for that household and how they've chosen to, to be able to use that language. Uh, and then thinking uh, as a parent, um, one, I know this is something my children are going to face. Uh, and so I would prefer to have that opportunity in those initial uh, exposures and the questions that would be there to have the opportunity to walk with them. Uh, and so it, um, it is difficult, it is awkward, but uh, in that opportunity, if, if I had to choose between my children getting to see me navigate these conversations with some years of experience as an adult versus the first time I walked into a conversation absolutely clueless and not knowing what to do, that... Um, there is value um, in, the, in the discipleship and modeling there. Uh, and so, changing gears uh, in our questions here a little bit, uh, there was another collect, uh, maybe constellation of questions that I was looking at uh, that get around the idea of if I have a friend who uh, purports to be both openly Christian and openly gay, uh, and so they, they identify as a gay Christian. Um, how do I interact? What does that relationship look like? What guidance would you give us for that? Well, my older and only sister came to see me get baptized when I got saved. And to do that meant she had to stay in the house with me and my partner. And so we went to church, and I got baptized, and we came home. We had dinner, and then my sister said, may I speak with you alone? And I said, sure. And she asked my partner at that time, was that okay? And he said, yeah. And she sat me down and she said, you know that I love you, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, I have to ask you this question and I hope that you won't be offended. She said, how are you going to now live for Christ and live with, I'll say, Joe? And I said to her, well, I don't really know that I have the answer for that, but I know this. I know that I got saved. I know that the Holy Spirit now lives inside of me, and I'm just going to try to be the best gay Christian I know how to be. Now, for me, as I define that journey, 
I would have to say, as I continued to surrender my life to the Holy Spirit, even though I was still identifying as a gay person, I was reading scripture and I was praying and I was asking for discernment. And so um, my personal experience was that as I submitted to the word of God, he began to convict me and he began to change my heart and to change my mind and to change my opinion. So um, it can be difficult, though, because lot, many times, and I, I think Sam and Jean would probably agree, if someone comes up and boldly proclaims, well, I'm gay and I'm a Christian, you're going to have to be willing to invest the time to see if that person will let the wall down. Because what did Jesus do? He sat and he ate with sinners. <laughs> he allowed there to be time enough and he invested in them that they could get comfortable. And I'll never forget Delo Smiles as an evangelism professor stood up in a class one day and said, when is the last time that any of you had a lost person? You knew they were without Christ. When is the last time you had them in your house with their feet under your table and having a conversation with them? And I went home that day and wept because I knew I was not being intentional with my, my relationships. Hope that helps. Yeah, this is a, a great question, and uh, I think a question uh, that's going to be more and more relevant. Um, and as you go about life, uh, you're going to encounter people who, who, ident- who have two identifiers, who identify as gay and um, as Christian. So I think one of the first things I would want to know is where their commitment is on sexual ethics. Um, do they think that gay sex is okay, or do they think that gay sex is wrong? Um, I think that's one of the the first things I would be curious about. Um, But, you know, uh, one significant thing and something we've talked about and something you've written about um, is that being a Christian means that you're in Christ, and that's the center and core of your identity. That is who you are. That is the most important thing about you. Um, And I think the second most important thing about you in terms of your identity is who you belong with. And as Christians, you belong with the church. Uh, no matter what your sexual orientation is, no matter where your attractions are, are pointing, uh, you belong uh, with the church uh, when you are a Christian, uh, not with the gay community. Um, I think being belonging with other Christians overrides uh, who you belong with. So, uh, you know, if, if they're going to be, uh, uh, I guess, not, not going to to sway on, on using the word gay, I would want to push that, help them push that, influence them to push that uh, toward the periphery of their identity and not the center. Um, it's after who they are in Christ. It's after who they belong with, which is the church. Uh, and it fits somewhere around there, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I play golf or uh, I play the piano. Um, fits somewhere in the periphery of identity. Yeah, this, this could get really even more complicated if this uh, hypothetical person, and, and this is more than hypothetical in some of our congregations, um, is a member of the church. And if they are living a gay lifestyle, not just in terms of community, but which is an issue, like you said, but, but they're actively involved in homosexual behavior, then I, I do think at some point... Um, with a heart of uh, compassion and um, just great concern, we, we must go to that person and say, you know, uh, 
I, I really believe that what you're up to here is wrong and that that's really bad for you. I think we may need to have some discussions and some discussions with the spiritual leaders that we've both chosen in our church about what does Scripture say about this because it seems to me that you're coloring outside the lines. And if I was coloring outside the lines by cheating on my taxes, I would want you to, at some point, because you cared for me, come and say, you know, you're, you're, you're outside the lines. This is, this is the way over here. This is a better way. And so I, I do think that um, out of love for a person that claimed to be a Christian brother, particularly if we were a member of the same church, at some point, I and the, the, the church leaders, and uh, you know, we, I, th- I, think, I think at some time, some point, you, you've got to um, go straight at this. I don't think that's the first step, but I, I don't want to be afraid to go there simply because I would hurt somebody's feelings when possibly their soul is at peril, which is a big deal. And, um, you know, in this area, I think uh, echoing what's being said there, uh, it's important to remember that there's two uses of the phrase gay Christian. Uh, And so when some people say, I am a gay Christian, what they mean is, I believe that the Bible teaches that monogamous same-sex relationships are biblically permissible. Uh, And I think that's what you're saying, where we would say, you are changing the teaching of Scripture to such a degree uh, that we have concern for your soul uh, and that whatever warning that we would give or church discipline is very much an act of love. Uh, Other people use the term gay Christian uh, and they embrace a conservative sexual ethic, uh, but their intent uh, is to say, I was alone. I didn't know who I could talk to. There was nobody who I felt like was like me, and I don't want another generation to grow up and and not have somebody that they could say, ah, you experience what I experience, I can talk to you. Or I don't want to give the impression uh, that salvation removed my experience of same-sex attraction. Uh, And it is simply a demarker of humility saying this part of my life has not as changed as much as I would like, or it is uh, raising a flag of peace to say uh, to a younger generation, I-, I am available if you want to have these conversations. You don't have to walk this alone. And, and so in that sense, we uh, sharing the same sentiment there of saying, it feels like when you say gay Christian, you're putting your sexuality too much at the center of your identity and and I would caution you in that. There's some aspects that if you're in that second usage of the term, that there's some things about that that I can really admire about how you're wanting to use your story and your experience, the humility that you're showing in your sanctification. I may not like your nomenclature, but I really appreciate what you're doing with it and might be challenged in some of my own vulnerability and authenticity there. Yeah, And there, there is a... Uh, conversation uh, amongst um, uh, conservative Christians with same-sex attraction here as to whether or not it's legitimate to utilize the term gay if one is only using it 
adjectivally as simply an adjective describing the direction of my sexual attraction. So one of the things that we might do is simply tell me what you mean by that. You, I noted that you said you're a gay Christian. Tell me what you mean by that. And it can mean a variety of things. And so I think a first step is simply inquiry. Tell me, what, what does that mean for you? And if they have chosen to use it, no, it doesn't define who I am, but it describes the direction of my sexual attraction. I think it's a fair adjective to, for me to use. Um, and maybe even that person is using it with missiological motives, like you kind of hinted it at, and Gene and I have had that discussion before. Um, then I, I, I can't tell them that they're wrong to do that. I might express concern, but I can kind of get where they're coming from if they're using it adjectivally rather than substantively. So, I think one thing that's important for us to remember is that words and identities aren't the same thing. Um, so how someone uses to describe something may not be how they see themselves. Uh, it may not be how they see themselves in, in who they are centrally. Um, and, you know, as kind of in the spirit of friendship, uh, which is a big theme in this book, um, you know, if you're going to, to start reaching into someone's identities, you want to be open, uh, if they're a Christian, for them to, uh, to look at the identities that you cling to. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, sport teams, you know, and your sport team loses and you're clinically depressed for two weeks, or, uh, or if, you know, if it's grades or if it's your job and you're working 60 hours a week, you know, you want to, to have vulnerability on your side of the conversation and recognize what your blind spots are for your identity in ways that don't glorify Christ uh, so that you can have a reciprocal conversation. Too soon. Too soon on that sports comment. Just, we weren't ready for that, man. Um, it, uh, well, I would love... Uh, to be able to ask more questions, and there are more excellent questions put in, but we have come to the end of the time that we have. And so can you join me uh, in thanking these folks here for being with us tonight? Um, I just say very personally and genuinely, well beyond the hour that we got to spend on this stage, the conversations, uh, some of you more than others, that I've gotten to have with you uh, have been uh, encouraging and edifying, and they, um, they have strengthened me, they have taught me, they have equipped me, and uh, I am just personally grateful uh, for each one of you, uh, your willingness to be here and participate in this. Uh, I want to say the same thing to you. Uh, it is a unique privilege uh, to be a part of a church, to get to be a member of and a pastor at a church where this is a conversation uh, that we want to have, a topic that we want to engage where it, um, where hopefully it is a, a very safe conversation to engage and it doesn't feel like we have to debate or defend having a conversation that says we want to be both conservative in our theological position and our sexual ethic, but we want to be missional in our friendships and learn how to be effective and to be grace and truth and salt and light and effective ambassadors. Uh, and I am I'm just immensely grateful uh, to be a part of a church where 
where we can host a forum like this. Uh, and so as, uh, as we get ready to wrap up, we just say, uh, if, uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, again, we are so glad uh, that you are here. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to, to address in a, in a concluding aspect here is somebody said, can you tell us about the ministry that, that Summit offers and maybe some other things in our community uh, that if we wanted to know more that would be available to us? Uh, the group that I talked about is a part of the G4 ministry. Uh, that meets on Monday nights at our Blue Ridge campus at 6.30. Uh, if you go to summitrdu.com backslash G4, uh, G is in gospel, 4 is in the number, uh, then that will have a listing of all the groups uh, that we offer as a part of that and tell you how to get connected to that. Uh, another ministry in our community uh, that uh, I believe does a good job in this area is Beyond Imagination. Uh, it has groups both for, uh, for those who experience same-sex attraction, also for family members if they're trying to process uh, their experience and, and what that would mean for them. And so if you uh, Google Beyond Imagination, uh, Raleigh-Durham, uh, you could find some information there. Uh, but Gene, uh, would you mind uh, closing us in prayer? And then we'll be down here uh, to uh, answer questions and interact for a, a bit of time after we're, after we're done. I, before we pray, I'm going to put a plug in, too. Uh, we have a Living Waters program at North Wake Church, and there's also one at Providence. It's another resource uh, for Thank sexual you. brokenness as well. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful uh, for your goodness towards us, um, that you uh, find us as broken and sinful um, as we are, um, uh, in our pride and in our arrogance, uh, trying to find other things that are better than you. And you give us grace, uh, you turn us to you, and you change us. And so uh, we pray for the grace to love people well, uh, to to build friendships, um, and to live in a way that proclaims your gospel and gives you glory. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.